many of you were watching the heart-wrenching, harrowing, infuriating testimony this week in Washington, D.C., as the families of 13 U.S. service members that were killed during the botched military withdrawal in Afghanistan told their stories of grief, confusion, and anger at the current administration's handling of the operation and how their family members were treated. Fox News carried their testimonies uninterrupted. The other media completely ignored them. And that made me really angry. If you weren't watching our channel, Fox News, then you had no idea these families were pouring their hearts and souls out in front of leaders demanding truth and accountability from the missteps and mistakes during the withdrawal two years ago. Taliban insurgents took over the country in just a matter of days. And after 20 years of our military presence being on the ground, it was over. On August 26, 2021, during the U.S. evacuation, suicide bombers killed 183 people, including 13 of our service members. Hundreds of U.S. citizens and tens of thousands of Afghan allies were left behind, despite Biden's promise to get them out. And those images of people trying to hang on to that plane as it left the hangar, falling to their deaths, just wanting a few seconds of freedom, is seared into my mind forever. My guest today helped write the report on that terrible withdrawal and watched Gold Star families pour their hearts out to Congress this past week. Retired Marine Corps Colonel Chris Douglas was part of an Army Central Command team that was tasked with investigating the blast at Abbey Gate. Colonel Douglas is a retired infantry officer and combat advisor with more than 31 years of commissioned service. He led Marines in five combat developments to Iraq and Afghanistan during the global war on terrorism. During the withdrawal, he served as the Assistant Chief of Staff G5 at U.S. Marine Corps Forces Central Command, forward deployed to Qatar to assist with processing evacuees from Afghanistan. He is the recipient of the Legion of Merit with Combat Distinguishing Service, two Bronze Star Medals, the Purple Heart Medal, and three Combat Action Ribbons. Please welcome Colonel Chris Douglas to the Janice Dean Podcast. Okay, Colonel Chris Douglas, retired U.S. Marine Corps, you helped write the report on the Afghanistan withdrawal. And this interests me, and it should interest every American. It should get us angry, to be honest with you, seeing those Gold Star families in Congress, I mean, heart-wrenching testimony about their loved ones that they lost during what I think was a botched uh, withdrawal. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I mean, you know, and as I... As I say when uh, when asked, I, mean, I have to remember that the with, there's a withdrawal and then there's an evacuation, two mm -hmm. separate events. And so the withdrawal, the uh, the administration had made the decision to go to zero, which, you know, doesn't make sense if you, if, you know, all indications are that you're going to have to execute an evacuation. You're naive if you don't think so. I mean, um, and so as they, as they make their way to zero and of course, um, the uh, Afghan security forces collapse, 
um, as anticipated, then we have to put more forces in to execute uh, an, an evacuation. Mm. Um, that puts the service members in a in an impossible position, which you know as they adapted and excelled at their level. Um, the heroism displayed by the service members is uh, is is extraordinary. You know, something to be that is what we should be proud of. But you're 100 percent correct as far as um, it it ends there. You know, then we really need to talk about uh, the accountability. Um, you know of you know not just who's responsible, but who really who's accountable for this failure. Are we ever going to get that accountability? I I don't I don't think as though we are. I think it's a good start. Um, having watched the the heart wrenching testimonies of, of the families, um, and I'm, I'm you know grateful that that Fox aired it and in in its entirety without without break. Yeah. Um, and um, but but as I say, heart wrenching, and you know the fact that they have questions and those questions haven't been answered. Um, it isn't. It isn't satisfactory to ignore it. It isn't satisfactory to to say, well, you know, it's two years later. You kind of should get over it. Mm. I don't. I don't imagine that you ever get over you it. Don't. I can't even, even, you know, even. There's there's nobody that can put themselves in their in their place. And listen, it makes me angry as well to see our president kind of say, "Well, this happened to me too." Like this is about the loss of these families, and he puts himself into their position of being a grieving parent. And that's not appropriate right now. No, it's not. And I mean, you know, to, to, to be perfectly blunt, his situation is completely different. And even if, even if his son was killed in combat, which he wasn't, it would, the fact would still remain that his situation would have been different because the, uh, the evacuation, you know, the withdrawal didn't have to happen. I mean, and that's where, you know, as we talk uh, responsibility and accountability, like, the you know, you can say that the last administration is responsible for the timeline. Okay, but you're responsible and accountable for executing the timeline. Yes. Because, you know, as, as we've seen, um, policies can be changed. Um, policies can be overwritten. Um, but, you know, this one to, uh, to come out with an initial timeline of September 11th, I mean, through, um, you know, I, I can say me personally and those close to me were horrified when we heard that September 11th was going to be the timeline. So to go back to, you know, the, the families, um, you cannot try to transpose your, um, your situation onto them and say, hey, I understand how you are. You might empathize with them, mm-hmm. but you sure don't understand what they're going through, nor can you relate your experience of your your son passing from cancer, which is tragic. Yes, from his, uh, um, but but it's but it is not um, from a failed policy that you enacted that you did not hold the Taliban to the conditions based withdrawal and say, hey, it stops here. We're not executing because if he had stood fast and said. You know, you're not honoring your withdrawal. As I've been briefed by the military leadership, we're not we're not continuing with this withdrawal, and we're staying at 2,500 people, and we will bomb you into submission, and we'll increase the military pressure until you come back to the negotiating table. Mm. Like that's where he could have gone with strength with this, but 
I think it was just a, you know, and, and I, you know, I can't, I can only speculate that the apathy in the room must've been, oh, you know, it'll, it'll, they'll hold on for a little bit before it falls apart. And by that time, the American public will have forgotten because the, the quote of they're war weary. Every time I heard that during the war, I was like, really? You're war weary? How many times have you been over? How many times has your family watched you go out the door? Because I, no, you know, I'm not going to say what I did was a sacrifice. I had five, con- I led Marines in five combat tours. You know, two as an infantry company commander in Iraq, one as a task, a t- an advisor team leader and task force commander in Iraq, and then my last two uh, in Afghanistan as an advisor team leader. You know, it wasn't a sacrifice. It was a decision I made because I believed in the country. I believed in the service. I believed in service. Um, you know, my family, it was a sacrifice, mm. but you know, but I, but I made that decision and I was able to do that because I have a supportive family. I have a, a strong wife, a strong son who made his own decision to, to go into military service. And, uh, so I, I, it just, the, the accountability, um, needs to come forth. But as you said, I don't, I don't know what to, as though it's ever going to come. Well, it's a step forward that they were able to put it on the congressional record. And if I know anything about advocacy and and wanting to right a wrong that's happened to your family, it never goes away. And the loudest voices in the room will continue to shout, which is what I hope these families do, is turn their grief into something that's positive. And that is continue to tell your story. Yes. And and, and I'm glad that they were given that that avenue. And and I like the way that you you that you uh, frame that. Um, the you know the, the the what's next is is what you know so it isn't just a hey you know we did a congressional record and uh, you know high fives and pats on the back because you know they're still going to go home they're still going to be you know looking at an empty room and um and and the, you know again it's the it's the what's next mm-hmm. it isn't just you know for them memorial day is every day yeah um you know the uh you know the the death of their service member is, you know, is every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can't imagine what that's like. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, it needs to, it needs to continue. And it's, I'm glad, you know, or grateful that, that Fox continues to um, raise awareness about those that were, the, that were lost so that we, you know, we, we continue to understand that it, there, there needs to be some sort of um, accountability. Yeah. And no other channel, by the way, covered it. It was like it was, it never happened to them, I'm which is so that. discouraging, right? It, yeah. Was there anything that you learned in the testimony that was new to you? Um, so I think the one thing that, that was a takeaway was, um, and I think it's a lesson that uh, that's been has been learned in, in a catastrophic incident like this. I think that the you know w- while it's in some cases it might seem uh, that executing you know individual briefs at a personal level might be um, might be more intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really think that because of those families are you know they share a common bond and. Much like when we interviewed the, you know, conducted the investigation, like we did them as groups for a number of reasons. Like in some cases, a Marine would have a remembrance of part of an event and the Marine next to him wouldn't. 
Um, or he might not remember something, but somebody next to him would. And so you'd find that in cases, you know, because it's um, almost like the, you know, looking through uh, uh, a rifle optic, like, you know, the, the scope of vision because of the chaos mm-hmm. that there was, because of the sheer volume of people and the pressure and the force that they were experiencing that, you know, they could only focus on really what was in front of them. And so that collective experience provided the orientation that we have. Now, so how that, how that ties to families. Again, it gives them the ability to grieve together. It gives them the ability to, like, you know, and, and um, to, to ask questions. Because in some cases, like, I might have a question. I might not be very vocal. I might not want to ask it. Mm-hmm. Or I might think this only applies to me. I might not. But at the same time, a question you ask might stimulate another question in mind. So that it's like, and this is where it should be an open dialogue. It's like, hey, we're going to give you the brief. We'll stop at any point and discuss. What we'd like to do is is run through the brief, and then we'll go back through and we'll break it down. And that's kind of how we did it with when we when we gave it to um, you know outside was we you know, we gave the brief like we're going to run through it. We'll answer any questions and we'll go back through you know in some of the cases. And so with this case, so that they could say, okay, hey, I have a question about this. This is information I heard. Mm-hmm. And then utilizing the people that conducted the initial investigation you know, to conduct that, then they can say, hey, you know, that's a good question. You know, we, we looked at that. We interviewed these people, and this is what they said at the time um, of the, uh, you know, following the incident. And, and so, you know, barring that, I think that you, um, you run the risk that there's going to be, I might pass information to you, and then if you pass it to Susan, you might you know, is it going to be exact? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. You're good, so it, it's probably going to be pretty close. Yeah. But somebody else, it, it, some of it is going to be, you're going to pick what's important to you to share, and then they're going to pick what's important to them to share. And, and you know, in this case, there's no room for ambiguity. There's no, there's no room for chance. It's not that the families should be given the information they need. It's they should be given the information they want. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things. What do you see happening there now? With uh, with the families or with Afghanistan? With Afghanistan. I mean, you know, it's the uh, to, to 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 say that, you know, hey, we're going to do this over the horizon is reckless, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how many months and we saw one drone strike for uh, Al Zawari, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he had, you know, he had been there for how long? Um, and you know, so okay, that's part of the agreement that obviously not honored, but you cannot. You cannot um, fight humans with uh, without humans. Like, you know, it's like, hey, well, we've got drones that we can we can read a license plate from you know thirty thousand feet. Well, we're not fighting license plates. Yeah. You know, we're fighting people. We're, we need human intelligence. And face it, I mean, it's it's you know, we had said you know, in the words of President Bush, we will not tire, we will not falter, we will not fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said as well, we're in together, we're out together. Now. With this, so what do you know? What do we see happening? Well, we all left. So one, you know, Afghans considered us allies. We yeah. considered them partners because allies and partners are two different things. Um, and so you know, which have agreements, but at the very least, they're partners. We abandoned our partners. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really say much about our our uh, our commitment. You know, I can tell you that the, you know, service members are committed. You know, I I love the uh, the Afghan security forces I served with. 
um, I believed in them. Um, you know, you can, you know, you'll always hear the argument of, yeah, but there's corruption. Okay, that's a whole other discussion. And it's not as simple as I went in thinking, hey, well, this is what corruption is. Um, but it's the, the what's happening now is, like, face it, it's a terrorist safe haven. Yeah. Um, and and we they know have weapons that. now. And they now have weapons. I mean, they have state-of-the-art weapons. Yes, they do. And, you know, and there was the, well, they'll never fly a helicopter. Really? I'm sure they're going to figure it out pretty quick because, you know, it goes into it. It also goes back to the evacuation. You know, there was this belief that, you know, when we say the Taliban, there's this thought. It's like, well, it's it's almost like saying, well, the you know, the Canadians or the United States, the army, the Marines. Well, it's not. I mean, you know, are they effective? Yes. But it's not like it's it's uh, you know, it's not like a unity of command. Right everybody's under one head, you know, loosely because, you know, you've got Taliban from Hellman, you've got Taliban from Logar. Are they all the same Taliban? No, they're all Taliban. They all have a shared in common ideology and goal, which is effective. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, and we even saw this, you know, in talking with the service members at the evacuation, like, hey, the agreement is, hey, we're going to work, you know, with the Taliban. Well, these Taliban are like, you know, hey, um, I don't care that um, your State Department says we're going to let these people, they change, they've changed from U.S. to green card holders to embassy people to it's changed five times in an hour. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, I don't care if you're George effing Bush. I'm not going to let you through with a, even a U.S. passport until your State Department figures it out. Mm. You know, so, so um, you know, that, again, goes into the, the fact that it's, it's, a, it's an organization that doesn't, you know, it's got, okay, there's people in positions, et cetera, but you know, it's a it's an it's a well armed <laughs> force that uh, that doesn't quite follow the rules that yeah. uh, that regular society does. And they they'll take however long it takes to have another nine eleven. Right, right, yeah. And I mean, uh, it's it's instability. Um, it's you know, it comes down to what's their goal. Well, you know, it it, it you know, it's like that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, we, you know, we look at, you know, if you think back to, I mean, cause you know, as, as Oppenheimer's popular right now, you know, the Manhattan science project, like mm-hmm. we put all of our resources together to determine, to find this, this solution to this complex problem. And they did. Yeah. Um, we we're in Afghanistan for 20 years. Yeah. And was there such a Manhattan science? There was, it was almost as though, you know, we, we fought it one year at a time for mm-hmm. 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd think you had this great idea and then you'd realize, that that great idea had already been, you know, thought of and tried, you know, previously. Interesting. Um, and some of the people that had some of the best ideas in some cases were either ostracized or, or uh, you know, or, um, you know, weren't weren't you know given the full legitimacy of of their belief. Mm-hmm. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Let's talk about your service. Uh, <clears throat> you know, what made you decide to do the job that you did for so long and, you know, and continue and have a family of, of people who serve? So I always, I always wanted to serve. I, I, from, um, as early as I can remember and as early as family pictures show, I, I, you know, whether it was, a an army uniform or, uh, um, on, on apparently, as my brothers will tell you, every day that uh, that I un, until I grew out of it, you know, I always wanted to serve. And so, as I was in high school, you know, you know standard, um, uh, I was a, an athlete. I wrestled. I played soccer. Uh, not not exceptional, but uh, 
as I got into my last year after wrestling season, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try out for the football team because I always wanted to play football, but I wasn't wasn't big enough, and uh, and so I I started preparing for that. But I was like, because I'm gonna go in the service next year, and I didn't want to find myself sitting on a bar stool at age 40, yeah, and saying, um, hey, I'm gonna. I could have played football or I could have done this or that. So I was like, I want to play. So I tried out for the team and, and my my coach pulled me aside on uh, right early on in preseason in August and was like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> Trying out for the team, coach. And he's like, you're, uh, you're terrible. <laughs> like, this is really bad. And uh, you, should be, you should go back to the soccer field. And so we kind of went back and forth. I was like, I don't, I don't, I just want to make the team. He's like, well, you're never going to, you're never going to play. Like that's okay. You're not going to get a letter. You had a letter inside. Got it, Coach. I want to go in the service next year. I don't want to sit. Find myself sitting on, uh, you know, the bar was Monaco's. I don't want to find myself sitting in Monaco's when I'm 40 and, and saying I, I wish I could have played. So he's like, try kicking it. Well, it turned out I could kick. Oh, wow. Part of the way through the season, he said you could go to college and oh. kick. So I did, um, and then uh, I ended up playing college football. College was was you know was a was a challenge. Balancing um, athletics, I had that initial. As I as I got into school, I realized I still wanted to serve, so I joined the Army Reserve. Mm-hmm. I enlisted um, on a on spring break and, and left for training. Um, and as I said, you know, college was a lot of ups and downs. So I was um, academically ineligible to play. I got I uh, got my uh, my eligibility back. I I played. Uh, I went to play my last season. There was a head coaching change. And uh, I promise you, this ties to why service. Okay. Um, I uh, so my last season. Um, what would be my last season? I two weeks before um, preseason, I call the coach and I'm like, a guy named Rick Party, who I'm still in touch with. I said, That's Coach, awesome. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come come play. And he's like, So look, call me the day of. I want you to think about it. You made a commitment. You've been to the workouts, and I'm I've been working out every day. So he says, uh, I said, I just want to focus on going in the Marines. That's all I'm focusing on. And so uh, he's like, call me the day of preseason. So I call, and, you know, we live, you know, two hours. I went to Marist, north of Marist, and I call him. My coach, I'm not coming. My mother's furious. Um, and he says, uh, you know, if you're going to quit, you got to do it in person. Ah. I'm like, I'm not quitting. I'm technically, I'm because I haven't started. He's like, no, you, you made a commitment. You're, <laughs> so you got to do it in person. So, you know, I expect to see you here doing it in person. Make sure you're on time. Click. And so kind of dumbfounded, I get off the phone and I start, you know, grab my car keys and, you know, my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to quit. She's like, I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> so uh, he, I drive down and um, I get there and I, there's a, there's a rally on the Mid-Hudson Bridge. So I'm late. I'm two minutes late and I walk in and he like on cue, he stands up, closes a binder. And I walk up and I'm like, hey coach, I'm here to tell you I'm not going to play. He's like, we're not even going to talk about you quitting until we talk about why you can't be on time. Oh my goodness. And so we kind of go back and forth and he's like, does you know he what? have a military background? He doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. wow. And, and so he, he, but he, sh- but it's like, he might as well have, he was the most philosophical and, and one of the best leaders I've ever experienced. And so, uh, he says, you know what, we're going to forget about, we're going to, we're going to look, o- I'm going to overlook this and, um, just go draw your equipment, um, ensure you're on time for the team meeting. And he walks away. And I, you know, I'm like stunned. So I walk, I grab my equipment. I have the best season of my college career. Um, you know, I set a number of records for, the, you know, the school was Division III. Um, and then he was my best reference for wow. applying for the Marine Corps. 
and uh, and you know was was an you know frankly was an inspiration for it you know as well you know a number of other people uh, you know high school people that I looked up to had gone into service my own my own father had served in in the navy his father as well had served and his grandfather had served um, so we had a family of service um, um, you know my my father was a police officer and my mother was a teacher um, we. Uh, so it was just in, you know, something I believed I needed to do. And so after serving for, you know, four years on active duty, I left active duty and uh, went directly into the reserves and went into law enforcement with the New York State Police. Um, and and then as 9-11 happened, I took command of my first infantry battalion or infantry company right after 9-11, um, was activated, and then we activated, waited at Camp Lejeune for a year deactivated briefly and then reactivated for the invasion. And then, you know, that saw what would then be the, f- the first of five combat tours, six activate, seven activations um, in my in my military career while balancing a career as a narcotics investigator for the New York State Police, while balancing a family. Um, and, uh, you know, but but that that call to service was uh, was uh, you know was really because of the people that inspired me, you know not just military people but those people that inspire me um, as leaders, as teachers, as coaches, as as mentors. You know, seeing that you know that something was worth fighting for, hmm. that that they gave you something to believe in, and that you know it's like nobody nobody and I'll, I'll say nobody wants to fight. Like I sure you know wasn't like hey I want to go get in a fight. But if there was going to be a fight, I wanted to be there. Hmm. I didn't want to be sitting on the sidelines. I didn't want to say um, – I remember as I was waiting to um, – I, I had just gotten back to work after my after the invasion of Iraq. And so it was 2004, and I had, um, I had been promoted to investigator. And um, Nicholas Berg had had his head cut off mm. in Iraq. It was a tragic – and I remember people watching it and talking about what they would do. And my phone rang. And it was uh, it was a battalion commander from Third Battalion, Twenty Fifth Marines, and he said, uh, "I uh, I've made a personnel change. I have an infantry company. I need a commander for." And I heard you're the guy to call, and I was like, "I'm flattered. I'll do it." And he said, um, "You know, here's here's the timeline. It was it was literally it was it was November. We activated in January. We deployed in, at the end of February. Um, with uh, you know, I was the company commander for." Kilo Company, I'll say, just amazing Marines. Um, mm-hmm. They were just, just adaptable and ten- tenacious, and just, just, just amazing, amazing Marines. Um, and, uh, and the, um, you know, that it was, it was that, you know, as I as I stood there, and um, you know, going back to that phone call, and I got off the phone, and everybody kind of looked at me, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, instead of sitting here watching some poor guy get his head cut off, mm. I'm going to go do something about it." Oh my um, gosh. And so, you know, as I say, it's 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 that it's that service that's ingrained in you from from people in your life um, that you you say something is worth fighting for. Like that person is worth fighting for. Mm. You know, hey, live a good life, be a good you know, be a good person, be a good human, be a good American, be a person worth fighting for. Like, Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. And enrollment is down. What do you tell? I mean, I have a 14-year-old that is interested in serving already. Uh, he's talked about that. You know, as a mom, I get nervous. Um, but, you know, listening to you, I think it's almost you have to just let them decide 
Um, you know, what did your mom say when you said, I mean, obviously she knew she's married to someone who served a family of serving hearts. Um, but as a mom, like what, you know, how do you encourage, what do you do? You tell me. So with, with my mom, it's funny because my mom was like, you know, I'd really like you to go to college. <laughs> you know, all your brothers went to college. Um, your father and I didn't go to college. And then we, you know, until we did, and, you know, it took her years as, as a, a mom of four boys, you know, working and, you know, being a stay-at-home mom. And then as we, and then, but then taking, you know, part-time classes to get her bachelor's and her master's. And then mm. after we all at, were out of the house becoming a teacher. So, you know, she's like, I really want you to get a college degree. It's like, well, I really want to serve. It's yeah. like, well, you know, you can serve as an officer. Like, well, I really just want to serve. <laughs> so we kind of go went back and forth. So it's like finally with, with football, she's like, you know, you can play football and then you can serve. Yes. And so it's kind of like this, you know, if then, like, okay. And then, but it was just that, that call, you know, it's like, if something happens, I don't want to just be sitting here saying, gosh, you know, I wish I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And so, you know, like I didn't even, I didn't even say anything to my parents. Mm. I just, they were, they were at work. I was home on spring break and, you know, I just drove myself to the recruiter and signed up. Wow. And so she came home and so she was proud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, and, and it's funny because we always joked, she was, you know, it was almost like it was a little naivety, like it was the Boy Scouts. But yeah. then when I graduated, she's like, I'd like you to do something in your major just to, and so I did it for 30 days um, as a, I was an editor at a TV listings company. Okay. I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Um, and uh, so, you know, I went into, you know, it was like a brief stop into law enforcement as I was applying to go in the Marines. And so I came home one day and I'm like, I'm just going to enlist. And, uh, and it was, and I went into, had gone into the recruiter's office who then contacted the Marine officer recruiter. And this guy, you know, I get a call from, from the Marine officer recruiter who then, you know, begins the process. So my mother was, my parents were very proud mm. of the decision. They were proud of the path that I had taken. I had, I had this, you know, it wasn't just like, you know, you know, there's no other option or, you know, oh, it's a good, it was like, it was this belief that I needed to serve. And so my, my parents knew that that was, you know, kind of how I was wired. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, what do you tell, uh, you know, what do you tell a child? You know, it was like, you know, with our, you know, our son is, uh, is 23 now. And so he had been saying from about the same time yeah. that he wanted to serve. And so, you know, at one point he stopped me and said, um, I'm not, I said, you know, you don't do this because I did it or don't do it. You know, you don't have to. And he's like, stop. He's like, I'm serving. I want to serve. Um, he had become a volunteer firefighter mm. um, in the community. He had, um, you know, he was involved. I mean, he and, and, you know, my wife, Susan, were involved in like every community service event that you could imagine. And it was just so inspiring when, you know, when you talk of service. So it's like, yeah, no wonder. But, um, but you know, when I was, I was deployed to Afghanistan and, uh, and I called home and he's like, hey, I got an ROTC scholarship to run some Polytechnic Institute, but, you know, from the Army. And, uh, and so as I had said, you know, he had said, stop telling, this is what I want to do. And, um, and, you know, he, he reiterated that at his, uh, at his commissioning, which, you know, when we did that last May. That you know he you know he believed in service. So, like, if they want to serve, they're going to do it. Like I said, you know my my reasons. You know, as I laid out, you know it's, um, you know it's it, and it goes beyond that. It's like the people that you work with, they're they are like family. Mm-hmm. Um, they're um, they're you know they're they're people that you know, and even the families end up close. And, yes. 
you know, just some of the greatest bonds, you know, you people that you can pick up the phone, you haven't talked to in five years and say, Hey, I need a hand. And they're going to stop they're what they're doing and they're, they're going to do it for you. Yeah. You talked about Susan. She's in the studio with us right now. Do you want to get on the microphone? No, I, you know, it takes a special woman, wife to, you know, support this, you know, and she doesn't want to talk, but you talk about Susan. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I'm I'm in awe because, like, I always would tell people, um, you know, hey, what I what I did was easy. I mean, it was you know it was a known, you know, you knew that it was going to be hot. You knew the conditions were going to be adverse. You knew it was going to be, um, in cases, volatile, um, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. But you 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 know you knew that when you got up in the morning, what your what your task or your purpose was. Every day, um, you know, it was like I cannot imagine running a family readiness network, which she did for each combat deployment, for each command that I had. Um, so keeping the families um, involved and informed and and stable because you're able to do what you can because things are are, are running well at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and so, you know, to um, to inspire uh, the. Uh, you know, the family, you know, your son into continuing, you know, so it isn't, they're not just um, surviving the process, they're thriving in the process, Mm -hmm. Um, a complete, you know, a difference. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm, I would say, you know, what Susan has done or what the wives have done is is more, uh, you know, is is harder than what we do. And she's like, stop, you sound stupid. (laughs) I mean, because my, and she's, you know, it's like the one person, it's like, if I know, you know, it's like, there's times it's like, hey, you know, Everybody's guilty of it. I've done it myself where you read your own press and you kind of think, hey, you know, kind of something. Hey, you know, we checked them. Colonel C.J. Douglas, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, the, you know, I can always count on I can always count on Susan and Britt saying, hey, you know, um, pump the brakes and be a little humble, mm. um, you know, and uh, and being that that voice of reason and, you know, that voice of stability. And as you know, um, I feel it's like, uh, you know, people say, well, thanks for your sacrifice. I didn't sacrifice anything. My family, they sacrificed. Yeah, you know, did I miss a lot of birthdays, a lot of anniversaries, a lot of um, beginnings of school and uh, graduations from, from school, you know, graduation from high school. Um, there's, there's sadly, there's more um, family photos of um, Susan and Britt and, and me in a, in a small window um, on the uh, on the screen or or holding a a piece of cardboard with a sharpie on it, mm. um, you know, for a family photo, you know, in, in a in a dusty location and you know, clad in tan camouflage. Um, so I I mean I I credit any success I've had, any success that we've had as a family to to Susan and and the uh, the tenacity of of her and the adaptability of her and the patriotism of her and fidelity of her. Um, and, and of course, my son, who, who's made his own decision to serve. That's beautiful, Susan. Um, you know, a lot of people that come in and do the podcast, I've had a lot of military personnel come in, and, and more often than not, their wives are with them. Um, and you know, my husband is a, a fireman, and uh, so I understand that bond of the the wives and the families and knowing God forbid anything ever happens, you know that you have the support of that 
unbelievable group of people that know what you're going through. Um, so I'm always so grateful to see the wives and the, and the families. And God bless those wonderful, you know, folks that went up there and told their story and demanded accountability um, because they will never stop. And they and I am grateful for that. And I'm grateful to you and your service. And thank you for, you know, filling us in a little bit about your life. And, and I hope that you'll come back. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. What I what I'm grateful for most is that you and and the others of the Fox team keep, um, you know, keep every story alive and and give people the opportunity to hear about, um, you know, whether it's you know all of our service members and 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 you know the stories that that some people just don't want to cover because they're uncomfortable. Mm. Um, but but thank you. We have and to keep telling the them. Thank you, Colonel. Thank you. Thank you, Colonel Douglas, for joining me today for an important discussion. We can't keep looking away or try to bury these stories that many would like you to forget. To those incredibly brave families that testified this week in front of Congress to tell their stories and demand truth, answers, and accountability, I heard you, I saw you, and I won't forget. God bless you all. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Spread the sunshine.